Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Um, so this morning, uh, I woke up about quarter past two, or 2.15, I should say, and um, I thought I heard some uh, noises. I went down the stairs, and I uh, thought somebody was breaking in, but I thought, oh, it's my imagination. Got up this morning, floors you go on next door, looks on next door, and somebody broken in, or somebody tried to break into somebody's house. And then I think it was uh, something this morning said to me, well, the car was damaged. And I was thinking... Um, this morning it was odd because today we we're talking about gifts and I was thinking how temporary are the things that we're given and how easily it can be taken away from us and yet the things that God gives us they just can't be taken away can they it's amazing the things that God gives us are here and they're permanent they can never ever be taken away and I absolutely love that and this morning we're going to talk about gifts and we're going to talk about the idea the concept that God has not simply rescued you as we've just sung he's recruited you as well. So God has uh, restored us and redeemed us, loads of us who have given our lives to the Lord. He's given us um, everything, and he's also entrusted us with gifts that every one of us have. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk about what it, like, what it looks like to have those gifts, um, how we recognize them. Like, do you know you've got a gift? Is there a latent gift within you, that's hidden within you, that nobody knows about, even you don't know about? How would you discover that? And what's so special about those gifts as well? So um, let me just turn on, I've just remembered I've got an instruction to turn this on. So um, this morning I was thinking about Jesus' uh, birthday, so Christmas is coming, and it reminded me of a story I like to tell when I was younger. Um, So when I started doing what Joel was talking about, um, kind of working in schools and mentoring young people, um, I used to use a lot of object lessons, and the kind of object lessons I like to use, because they kept a lot of suspense, were kind of like magic tricks, so card tricks, and just object lessons, and all sorts of different things, and when I worked with little children, I used to have those, you know those relighting candles that you put on um, cakes, and you kind of blow them out, and then they come back again, have they used them, yeah? And uh, it's not magic, just so you know, it's just a trick. And um, so I used to talk to little children about God's love. I would say, God loves, uh, keeps me warm. It's a light to my feet. It helps me know where to go. And then sometimes I do something wrong and God's love goes away. Oh, no, it doesn't. It's still there. Or sometimes God finds somebody better than me at things. God's love goes away. Oh, no, it's still there. So uh, one day, I used, to, I used to take all these different tricks with me to different places, and I was working in about 17 different schools. And then one day, I got asked to go to Germany. And they said, we want you to come and speak at this German conference about youth work. So I got to Germany, and I went to this kind of um, quite nice place, and they put me in this posh hotel. And um, I was kind of very, very young in the ministry. And um, I said to them, can you tell me who all the other speakers are? because there's 200 leaders here, who are the other speakers? And they looked at me and said, no, no, Paul, you're the only speaker. So I'm thinking, okay, be cool, pretend I've done this before, that's fine, okay. So I got there the next morning, and they started this conference off, and they gave me an interpreter, because Germans speak in foreign. So they gave me this interpreter, <laughs> and then what they would do is they would say to me, uh, she would interpret, so the first guy gets up, and he's introducing the conference, and she's interpreting to me. And then clearly, after a while, she gets a little bit bored, so she stops saying anything. So, you know, he's talking and everything. And then suddenly, everybody kind of like looks at me like this and looks back. And I'm like, this is awkward. So I, I said to him, what's he just said? And she says, oh, nothing. He's just, said, he's just said that he believes God's told him 
that everything in German youth work in the last 10 years has failed. And at this conference, God is going to give us the new direction for German youth work. My God, come on. Hang on a minute. I'm the only speaker. And I've got my magic candles. And at that point, I really panicked. And, and I started to think about the fact that sometimes God gives you gifts. And uh, like I'm always praying that God give me opportunities to serve you. And then sometimes the opportunity comes and you've not really um, honed the gift that God has given you. I was still going around with magic candles when probably by then I should have developed my gift a little bit more. And sometimes what happens is we don't recognize the gift that God has given us. And so either, one, we don't use it. Two, we compare it to other people and we think it's not very useful. And three, we don't actually develop our, our gifts. So this morning we're going to look at that. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, I'd love you to open them. Uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at stories to inspire us and to encourage us over this, uh, this month. So Matthew Chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 1, and it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or Magi, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod, King Herod, heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them, the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So before we get going, we're going to look at a couple of things to make sure we know our facts. So first of all, we're going to look at three pictures and ask what's wrong with these pictures. So what's wrong with this picture? Two things. First of all, we don't know who these magi were. So tradition gives us certain names. You see the names at the top? So painters will put names of people. We don't really know who these, these guys were. Number two, what's wrong with this picture? We talk about three wise men or three kings. But in reality, we don't know how many of them were, there were. Tradition, often we think of them as three because there were three gifts. Uh, in Eastern Christianity, uh, if you go to the East you'll find people um, kind of like um, rejoicing about 12 wise kings. What's wrong with this picture is that Jesus was not a baby in arms. It's likely he was at the very least a toddler, probably walking and talking, because we think it's probably something like two winters after he was born that the Magi came to visit. And what's wrong with this picture? 
There wasn't a crowd. This is the picture I always grew up thinking. There was all these people gathering. There were angels. There were donkeys. There was all sorts kicking off. It was kind of cool. Uh, in reality, uh, the Bible says only, only Mary was present with Jesus at the time. So what you've got here is just the, the factual information. is We don't really know that much about the Magi. We know they were probably from Persia. Uh, we know through a remez, which uh, if you've been to Havrin, you know what that means. We know they were probably kings. Um, but we don't know much more than the fact that they were very wise men, uh, understood or they believed they understood and could see things in the stars, and they came to worship Jesus. But I think there are certain things we can learn from this story that really inspire me, at least. And uh, I'm going to go through these three questions. First of all, why give a gift? It says this. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So why do we give our gifts? Why do we give back to God the gifts that God has given to us? You know, there can be lots of different reasons. There can be guilt. Um, when I think about this, whoops, let's go back a little bit. Um, I think that's just disappeared. Um, if we can put that back up line, because there's a picture I want to show people. Um, I don't know if you know this. Next slide, please, David. Um, next slide. Thank you. So this is a, um, a model of uh, the temple that Herod built. A lot of us, we know Herod is a, an evil guy. What we don't realize is that Herod built this incredible temple. Uh, this was probably the best gift ever given to Israel outside of Jesus. Uh, as far as a physical building, it was absolutely huge. If you can look behind the temple, you see the size of some of the other buildings. This temple was absolutely gigantic. And Herod built it, but why did he build it? Herod was technically a Jew, but the reason he was a Jew was because his ancestors had been forced into Judaism um, two centuries earlier. So here's a guy who's giving, and the reason he's giving is guilt. This is what the rabbis said about Herod. One who has not seen Herod's temple has never seen a beautiful building. But they also said this, it was built by a sinful king, and the building was intended by him as an atonement for having slain Israel's sages. So Herod builds this temple pretty much out of guilt. God wants us to give back our gifts for the reason the Magi did. The Magi came out of joy. There was this joy. They gave out of joy. This, this Christmas, there'll be parents throughout the world, and they're giving their children gifts, hopefully, most of the time, not out of guilt about the joy. Uh, they're not giving to earn their child's love. They're giving because they love their child. And that's what, what we do. We don't give our gifts to earn God's love because the fact of the matter is we're just loved, full stop, period, no matter what we give. All souls are precious. Maybe not all souls are strategic to God. But we can be strategic to God when we give him our gifts. So we consecrate what he's already given to us. So to give an example of this, I'm going to ask someone to give me some money. So who would like to give me $5? Anybody like to give me $5? Seriously, anybody like to give me $5? Oh, we've got, we've got, we've got a couple of people. Howard's, see how long Howard's taking? Oh, my, oh, my pocket's sticking. Howard's there, my pocket's sticking. Thank you. Uh, can you just come up one second, will you? Do you want to stand here? Just one second. I'm sorry. This is, the, this is a trick. Switch and bait. Okay. You're going to give me... Ten dollars. Yeah, Thank double, you. Double down. You double down. Okay, <laughs> okay so ten dollars. So um, the Bible talks about us consecrating our gifts. 
And I'm going to show what this looks like. So that is my that is now now my ten. This is not an object. This is now my ten dollars. Okay. However, however, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give this back to you. I'm going to entrust you with this. Okay. At some point, I may ask you to take that to the bank. I don't know if you can do this over here and change that into a thousand pennies. And every so often. I'm going to call you up and ask you for one of those pennies. Maybe one penny, maybe two pennies, maybe five pennies. Is that okay? Okay, thank you. Give them a round of applause. That's a simple analogy of consecration. What happens is we give our lives to the Lord, and the Lord says, thank you, I now have your life. And in our minds, particularly in evangelical Christianity, we kind of see it as one big decision that we made. So I made that decision when I was 14 years old. I decided to give my life to the Lord. In reality, what happened was something like that. I said to the Lord, here you are, here's my life. And the Lord said, great, thank you, here it is back. I'm not going to control you by an Xbox remote control. You have, you have all these choices. And in reality, what's going to happen is, every so often, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do something. Now remember, that gift is already mine. So when I gave my life to the Lord... It means I gave him my gifts. And every so often, he calls upon me to use those gifts. That's consecration. And when the Magi turn up to worship Jesus, what motivates them is not what Herod's told them. What motivates them is this joy that they found this king of kings. Hopefully you're joyful you've discovered the king of kings. And he's joyful, he's overjoyed about you. Because many of us in this room, we've given our lives to the Lord. And every so often, he calls us to give those gifts back. But really, it's not a choice. It is a choice, but it's not a choice. It's a choice whether to give the gift back, but it's not a choice whether that gift is his or not. If you've given your life to the Lord, you're giving him your gifts. You've made this promise, this vow. So why do we give our gifts? Because not to earn his love, not to be more precious but so we can be strategic for his purposes. How do you know you've got a gift to give, though? How do you know you've got a gift? Mark 2 says this. Mark 2, verse 11 says this. Um, then they opened their treasure. I, I would suggest this to you, that every one of us has buried treasure. Every one of us has treasure within us that we don't even know there. But God does, and only God can uncover it. Um, so how do you know you've got a gift? Well, let me suggest a couple things that spring to mind. Number one, it seems simple to you, and you think everybody else should be able to do this. You've ever thought that? Have you ever, had a, ever thought to yourself, this seems so simple. Surely everybody can do this. Anybody ever been like that? Like maybe if you've got a thinking gift, you're pretty good at thinking things through. For me, I get quite frustrated because I think this has got to be common sense to everybody. Like, people are stupid. This is so obvious. But it's not really. It's just that that's a gift that God's given me. There are certain ways that God has gifted me. I would say the same for you. There are some of you who have gifts in, in sensitivity and feelings. God did not give me those gifts. But he gave those gifts to you. And you can sense things. You can feel things. And you probably look at someone like me thinking, Paul, you are like the devil. Because you can't clearly, you can't feel what obviously people are feeling. But actually, it's a gift that God has given you. So sometimes there are things you can do. And you think this must be so obvious to people. I hope um, Will and Cynthia don't mind me saying this. But last night uh, we were chatting uh, at a party. 
and they have a five-year rule. And their five-year rule is that when one of them dies, the other one cannot remarry for five years. My wife has a five-second rule, okay? She says to me, she says to me, if I die, she says, you will probably remarry within five seconds. And when I say to her, why? She says, because you can't do it on your own. She says, you can't do anything on your own. You're absolutely hopeless. You'll have to get married or you'll just die. And that's probably fairly true. So they have a five-year agreement. We have a five-second agreement, apparently, so I'm told. Uh, Because in Lynn's mind, she looks at basic things and says, Paul, you're an idiot. You should be able to. But she's gifted at washing the pots and stuff like that. So, oh, bit of controversy. Okay, second, you make things look easy. You make things look easy. So, um, Sometimes when you've got a gift, you're just going to make things look easy. And the way you can tell is other people will look at you and think, I can do that. And they go away and they try it without any help or any assistance from anybody. And it doesn't work out because you're gifted. There are certain things, ways you think, where you feel, things you do, where you're gifted. And you hear what I consider, and you may not, a little bit of nonsense, which is to find yourself, you need to go on a wilderness trek through India or climb a mountain. How do you discover yourself? How do you find yourself in community? In community. Because people reflect back to you. You know, the third way of discovering a gift is the most challenging. Because our true gifts are often seen in a mixture of what we love to do and what other people tell us we're good at. The things we don't like to do so much. So I've noticed that vision comes sometimes from a clash between what you really have on your heart to do and also what other people notice you do better than them. And for me, that's, that's kind of more challenging. Because in community, it challenges me. Because sometimes people say, you're actually quite good at this. And I'm like, number one, I don't feel that I am. And number two, I don't want to be because I don't enjoy it. Um, I put a picture of this guy uh, on the right. Uh, his guy, this guy's called Nick. And uh, when I was younger, around, around Joel's age, maybe just a little bit older, and I was in ministry, um, and we were growing this organization. We just started this organization. Around about 26 years old, I asked Nick, who was much funnier than me and much, much better on the stage than me, if he would become the face of our organization. In other words, he would go around and he would share the vision, a bit like Joel just did before, with everybody else. Because I just did not want to do that. I did not want to stand on the stage. Manage people, yeah, I knew I could do that. I felt comfortable doing that. Organize things share vision a little bit. Internally, I could do that. Go around traveling. I didn't want to travel and speak on a stage. I didn't want to do that. So I asked this guy. Now, fortunately, he said no. And I was forced to do that. And sometimes God will put us in that situation where he's drawing out of us gifts and abilities that we didn't even know were there. Because in each and every one of us, there's buried treasure. The question is, will we give that buried treasure to God? Or are we saying to him, well, I know I gave you my life, but that was a one-time decision. I didn't realize it, it meant my gifts as well. The reality is everything, everything about us that we gave to him. And in God's mind, he owns that now. So what's so special about your gifts? What's so special about your gifts? I think there are clues in the Magi's gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, What we've got here is, um, I think, a little bit of a a pattern. There were three reasons why these gifts were so valuable. Three reasons. So when when the Magi went to uh, Jesus, 
the, the value of the gifts was absolutely quite immense. It probably funded their trip to Egypt and funded their trip back. And there were three benefits. To these. They were very wise men, literally, because the gifts were very clever. Number one, they were transportable. They were transportable. These were gifts they could just take with them. Uh, the Magi knew these guys were probably going to be on a little bit of an escape route. They're going to have to travel around, avoid Herod. So they gave them gifts that were transportable. Now, for me, there's a metaphor there that our gifts need to be transportable. There, there need to be gifts that God's given us that we operate everywhere at different times and for different people. We don't say, well, I'm going to use my gift here because I like these people, but I'm not going to use it here. But they're transportable. Um, I, I find principles in patterns, and I put two passages together, and I've created my third uh, about this. So Luke 6, it says this. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expected to be repaid in full. Then Matthew says this. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only uh, your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm putting those two together, and I want to create a phrase. Jesus never said this, but here's what I think Jesus would have said about our gifts. These are my words, not his. If you only serve the way you love to serve, what reward will you get? And not even the non-Christians doing that. And if you only use the gifts you like to use, why are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Therefore, perfect the gifts you don't like to use, as Jesus willingly and with love gave the gift of his life on a cross. So there are gifts that you love to use. There are things you love to do. But I want to suggest there's some hidden treasure in you where others might say to you, you know you're really good at that. And you're like, mm, don't want to be. Don't want to be. And the Lord's saying, you know, this Christmas, as we're giving out gifts, why not give him those gifts as well? Why not, why not pass them on to him? Because he can do incredible things with those gifts. The gifts were valuable because they were transportable. They were also valuable because they were mar marketable. As well, So these were gifts that were in demand in those days, heavily in demand. Do you know your gifts are in demand? There are gifts that God's put in you that are in demand. Um, there's a, a, a lovely story, like apparently it's a true story of um, a guy, a nobleman, who uh, this is in um, Europe many, many years ago, a few centuries ago. Uh, he wanted to give something to his town. So what he did was he gave the thing he, he thought would be the best gift he, give, he could give. He built them a small church. It was apparently beautiful, like a masterpiece. And the town were like, this is amazing. And interestingly, he never showed them the plans in advance, apparently. So when they turned up, they looked around and they thought, this is, this is a fantastic, fantastic church. And then somebody noticed something. Now, this is centuries ago. They said, there's no, there's no lamps here. There's only brackets on the wall where lamps would go. And the nobleman said yes, and he kind of opened this, this chest, and he gave every family a lamp. He said, I want you to know that you have a lamp, and when you come to church, your lamp will light part of the church, but when you're not there, it will still be dark. 
kind of manipulative, I thought. <laughs> but I kind of like the idea. Because the fact is we need to understand that when, when, we don't, when we don't show our light, there's a darkness. You know, there are darknesses in people's lives. There are shadows in people's lives and shadows in our world that our light can bring hope to. That our gifts can bring hope to. And when we keep it at home, the, the fact that there might be an area of our world, an area of our community, an area of our friends and family's lives that remains dark. And we need to understand that your gifts, my gifts, they're in demand. God wouldn't give us those gifts if they weren't there for a purpose. And this Christmas, in some senses, maybe he's saying, give me those gifts back. Even the things you don't like to do, give me those gifts because I'm going to do amazing things with them. The third and final thing is that uh, the gifts were symbolic. Uh, I don't know if you know the symbolism in the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So gold uh, was uh, seen as a divine gift. So anything uh, made of gold was often seen as divine. Think about the golden calf. So gold was seen as representing the divine nature of Jesus. Um, frankincense was like um, a resin that was found in a tree. And when it was burned, it gave this amazing kind of fragrance, and it was used for burnt offerings. So when, when Mary was given this, obviously Jesus was too young to understand, but when Mary is given this, it probably worried her a little bit because this stuff was used for, this stuff was used partly for um, just symbolizing suffering, symbolizing an offering about to be given. And myrrh was also found in a tree. It was kind of uh, anointing oil. It was used for embalming. It was also used uh, with wine to, to uh, give a kind of drink or a, a little bit like a drug that numbs pain. It was probably myrrh mixed with wine that was given or offered to Jesus on the cross that he refused. So these symbols uh, say something to Mary about her son. There's a divine nature, there's offering, there's suffering, there may be death. And your gifts also point to something about Christ as well. Particularly when we do those things with no strings attached. When we give our gifts, not as often the world does because they love to do certain things, but we give our gifts for the purposes of Christ, they point to Christ as well. I want to finish that with a little bit of a story that I love to tell about this guy on the right. This guy's called Arthur uh, uh, Scape. He's a really interesting guy. He was born in uh, Australia, true story. Born in Australia, um, went into, I think it was the First or Second World War, came out of it. He, he had some brain damage a little bit. He, he couldn't speak, uh, sorry, he could speak, but he couldn't read or write. Uh, he was a very, very poor guy. He was homeless. And so for years, he would go to... Um, um, a, a church on a Wednesday where they would give food out for the poor. And at the end of that, he would uh, hear the gospel message. And he went apparently for months and months and months and years, and it never made any difference. And then particularly one particular, one particular Wednesday he went, and the preacher asked this one question. He said, if you die today, where will you spend eternity? If you die today, where will you spend eternity? And he gave his life to the Lord there and then. And then something weird happened. He suddenly, this is a true story, you can look this up, by the way, if you want to. He, he suddenly realized he could, pay, he could write the word eternity in copper plate script. And he, he did it 50 times a day for the rest of his life. 
in Sydney, Australia. So every day for the rest of his life, he would get some chalk and he would go around on the pavement and the walls, graffitiing everywhere with this word, just one word, eternity. I think it was 20 years until somebody discovered who it was. So he did it. It was famous in Sydney, kind of 60s, 70s. Nobody knew until, sorry, the 60s, who was doing this. And eventually it was discovered. And um, the Daily Telegraph um, um, asked him for a, uh, asked him an interview, and this is what he said. Suddenly, this is after he, he became a Christian. Suddenly, I began crying, and felt a powerful call from the Lord to write eternity. I had a piece of chalk in my pocket, and I bent down night right there and wrote it. I've been writing it at least fifty times a day ever since, and that was thirty years ago. The funny thing is that before I wrote it, I could hardly write my own name. I had no schooling and I couldn't have spelled eternity for a hundred quid. But it came out smoothly in a copper plate, beautiful script. I couldn't understand it and I still can't. I've tried and tried, but eternity is the only word that comes out in this script. So here's a man who doesn't have a lot to give, but what he does have, he gives 50 times a day. And then eventually he dies. Does anybody remember the millennium bug? Anyone remember the, the millennium bug? You know, like, was that just a British thing? That in the year 2000, there was going to be this millennium bug and all the computers in the world were going to crash. Do you remember that? <laughs> Y2K, okay. You have to have a different name for everything, you guys, don't you? <laughs> so we called it the millennium bug. So what happened, I don't know if you remember this, because it's quite 17 years ago, but the whole Western world were a little bit apprehensive. A lot of us thought it's probably nothing going to happen, but still wanted to check. So they decided that the first city in the world, the major city that would, would be affected, would be Sydney. So billions of people watched New Year's Eve 2000, or 1999, I guess, and watched for this, the, the, the computers to click. When the fireworks up went up, with billions watching, this is what you saw. And the commentator said this to, to the world. We've got eternity on our bridge in honor of Arthur Skate, who once was an alcoholic but became a born-again Christian. Isn't it amazing what God can do with the little that we give him? It's incredible. Just this one guy who's homeless, cannot read or write, but faithfully gives the little thing he can give and God broadcasts it to the world. What about you? And what about me? What's that hidden treasure within us that will come out in community and that we can offer to him? This morning, I just want to encourage you that God can do incredible things through a consecrated gift. A gift that we understand was always God's from the moment we gave our lives to him. And was never just ours. He gave us the choice because he wants to give it, uh, us to give it joyfully. And when we give joyfully to the Lord, he can do incredible things. Let's just close our eyes. Um, Ryan's going to come out and just leave us a little bit more as we think and prepare for Christmas uh, this year. Maybe just as you're, you're um, bowing your head and just closing your eyes, just so, so you can focus and other people don't feel distracted. Maybe we can just begin to ponder those gifts that lay dormant 
Um, I felt um, this week to speak into that this morning. Uh, there are many of us that are using our different gifts, but there are some gifts that lay dormant, some gifts we're holding back. And I think this morning it's good to be reminded that in God's mind, that's, that gift is his. When you gave your life to him, that gift was his. And he wants to use that gift. It won't make you any more loved by him, but it will mean that you're more strategic for his purposes. So just as, as Ryan begins uh, to, to play and we'll begin to worship uh, again one more time, let's just maybe just think uh, that, that through. Uh, I'm going to ask you just to um, make a little bit of a decision this morning that if you know maybe this, this passage of Scripture is speaking to you this morning, and maybe God's kind of putting a finger on a particular area, a particular gift in your life that you're holding back, or maybe multiple gifts, you've not really surrendered fully to Him, and then maybe this would be a good morning to offer them back to him. And the way I'd encourage you to do that this morning is by deciding in your heart to tell someone you're going to do that. By maybe coming up to one of the leaders today and just letting them know and say, you know, I think God's been speaking to me today and, and this is the gift and I just want to tell somebody, be accountable, I'm going to give that back to, back to the Lord. If someone comes to you today and says that to you, bless them. Maybe even pray for them. And remind them over this Christmas period, hey, what have you done about that? What have you done about that gift that God has given you that you promised to use for his purposes? Let's just stand, shall we? Just uh, keep our eyes closed and we're going to worship a little bit. So I'm just going to encourage you to to make that decision now and then we're going to pray and then I want to pray for one more uh, type of person so uh, if you know that's you this morning you want to kind of respond in that way this morning then maybe say this prayer uh, with me uh, this morning Lord I thank you that when I gave my life to you you redeemed all of me you forgave me completely I don't have to do anything to earn your love but Lord, I recognize there are areas of my life, there are gifts I have in particular that I'm not fully given to you. And this morning, I want to lay them down at your feet in the same way the Magi lay down their gifts at the feet of Jesus. That you might pick them up and use them for your purposes. If that's your prayer this morning, just say amen with me. Amen. Maybe this morning there are, there are loads of you who have not yet given all your life to the Lord. And uh, this morning would be a good time to do that, to say to the Lord, you know, Lord, I, I believe you. I don't understand everything yet, but I want to I give my life to you completely for your purposes. If you'd like to do that this morning, I'd love to pray for you. So I'm going to say a different prayer, and you can say amen at the end of that, and then maybe just come and see me afterwards and let me know you've said this prayer. So if this morning you want to really commit your life to God, maybe for the first time, or recommit yourself to him, then maybe say this prayer. Lord, I thank you came and died for my sin. Please forgive me my sin. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to live my life for your purposes, wherever that may mean. In the name of Jesus, I ask it. 
Amen. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. Um, Mark and Becky are going to go to the corner, if you, if you guys can. So um, over the last few weeks, people have been coming to them, and we've been praying for people. Uh, we've been hearing about people getting touched in their bodies, which has been great. So if you need prayer, um, I mean, who doesn't need prayer, you know? But if you need prayer for yourself or someone else, then uh, feel free to go in the corner, and Mark and Becky will pray for you, or we'll join with you and pray for others that you'd like to pray for. So as we worship, uh, feel free to go to the back and in the corner there. Thanks, Andy.